Back to throw to Patrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are joined by the Draft Network's Trevor Sikama to break down Devontae Parker's breakout season, Preston Williams' immediate impact, and this year's wide receiver class. All of that and more on this Wednesday, April the 8th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins And last year, we saw a host of Dolphins wide receivers contribute to an effective passing game and did so in a variety of ways. Furthermore, this draft class has been dubbed by NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah as the best receiver class since he started doing scouting in 2003. And my guest today knows a thing or two about big-time receivers up close and in person. He covered the Buccaneers for PewterReport.com, and he's one of the most revered draft analysts in the game today. So let's go ahead and get to my interview with Tampa Bay Trey, Trevor Sycamore. And joining me on the podcast now, you've heard me reference their work all the time here on the Drive Time Podcast, the Draft Network's very own. He's also the host of Locked On NFL Draft. He is Trevor Sikama. Trevor, what's going on, man? Hey, Travis. Good to be with you, man. Always. We met down at the Combine. Now we're getting our first chance to do a podcast together. And we're going to get into this ridiculous, versatile receiver class here in just a moment. But I want to start by going off the Dolphins' current wide receiver group. We had a 1,200-yard, nine-touchdown receiver last year in Devontae Parker and a rookie who was really coming into his own before an injury and a variety of guys that made plays in a variety of ways. But let's go ahead and start with the former first-round draft pick, Devontae Parker, easy for me to say. What did you see in his game last year that led to the breakout season for him in 2019? I honestly just thought it was all coming together. Like, you know, and, and the longer I do this, the more I realize that there's a lot more that goes into succeeding on an offensive end than just one and one talent. You know, you got to have chemistry with the quarterback. It's, it's, it's gotta be something that's prevalent on almost a play to play basis. And along with that as well, play caller and whoever's calling the shots on offense, all that stuff has to be there. Like it's gotta have chemistry with it. You've got to feel comfortable. And when you get that, I just feel like you have, uh, the best chance to get the most out of your abilities as you will, because as scouts, that's what we, that's what we try to write down, right? We try to figure out what a guy can do for you. And Devontae Parker, I was a big fan of his when he was coming out year, many years ago now. And so for him to, man, it's been this long since he broke out. I, I kept thinking maybe this is it for Devontae Parker. I had a lot of high hopes for him. I did think that he would need a little bit of work coming out of college, but here we are. And honestly, last year, I thought that he just put it all together. He was able to give them everything that they wanted. I mean, the 1200 yards, the 72 catches, almost double digit touchdowns. That was so great to see for, from somebody like me who watched flashes of him when he was playing in college and thought this guy can be a difference maker in the NFL. If you get him with the right system and you get him pretty comfortable. And I just think it's taken that amount of time for him to really be able to get the most out of what he does. 
And obviously he did have that type of, you know, high pedigree talent being a first round draft pick. And one of the things I loved about watching his game last year was the ability to really shield guys off of the football when he went to high point those quote unquote 50-50 balls. And they really weren't 50-50 balls when he was attacking them because he pulled down more than half of them last year and Fitz was certainly willing to give him a chance. Now, another guy that was really off to a strong start before an injury cut his season short was a free agent, undrafted rookie, Preston Williams, who climbs all the way up to the starting position by the time the season started. And at his size, he was really creating a lot of separation with his ability to sink his hips and drop that pad level at the top of routes. What was your report coming out of Colorado State on Preston Williams? And how did he translate that into immediate production as a professional? I mean, I thought the tape was great. The athleticism was there for him. You know, you talked about it right there, being flexible enough and explosive enough, precise enough in his movements to where he can sink his hips. He can fool people with some of his, his, his routes. He can have good feet and he can have separation in his long speed. I think that that all just showed up. I thought that all of his routes kind of really came together and, I just think that it was a great year for him. You know, you talk about Devontae Parker putting it all together. I thought that uh, Preston Williams certainly put it all together. And we learned that early on. I mean, that was early on in the season, in the preseason, we got him on our radar. And so, man, I thought the athleticism was there for him. He just couldn't put it all together in college. And that's why, you know, that among other things is why he didn't go as high as he wanted to, didn't get drafted and, and, Found a good spot in Miami, though. You know, he was able to make the most of it. And you mentioned making the big plays right in front of your own eyes. Trevor did cover the Buccaneers up until last year, so he saw that preseason game when yeah, Preston I did. Just, he just went nuts in that game. He looked like an all-pro right away off the top, and it's like, okay, we got something here. And the nice thing about that was he was doing that in camp. He translated into season success, into in-season success as well. And by the time he and Devontae got cooking, man, these guys were tough to cover But we have a draft class coming down the pipe this year that I mentioned it off the top. Daniel Jeremiah says he's been doing this since 2003 is the best, deepest class he's seen in that time. And let's go ahead and get into the nuts and bolts here about this receiver class. I think most believe there are three guys that stand out above the rest. I'm curious to hear how you, Trevor, separate Judy, Ruggs, and Lamb. Yeah, man, they're good. Uh, (laughs) These these three guys are going to make team's very happy. And I think that that's always a conversation that I have with people is, you know, when, when people do mock drafts and everything, they go, Oh, you know, we don't have to take a wide receiver here because there's just so many in this class. We could take one later in the draft. That's true. It is rich with talent, but these guys at the top are very worth it to be at the top. I mean, Henry Ruggs with the world-class speed, Jerry Judy is one of the best route runners I've ever seen in my life. And then CeeDee Lamb, just the determination, the hands, the run after the catch ability. These guys can separate and be difference maker, makers on a team for a variety of different reasons. And it's not just those either. I think that that's really important to remember. Henry Ruggs isn't just speed. Right. I mean, he's not a guy who's who's just going to be able to run the vertical routes and nothing else. This kid is tough. He goes after catches. He can one hand pluck him and he can run through contact as well. So you have to you have to note that just as much as the speed on the scouting report. Jerry Judy's got the long speed to go along with that short area quickness. He's got great hands as well. And then CeeDee Lamb. He's a lot of an all-around wide receiver. He's a true number one. He's going to be able to play an X. He's going to be able to play uh, off the line of scrimmage as well, whether it's in the slot or to the outside. And I think that that's really important. I think that right now, if you ask me to rank them, uh, I would have Henry Ruggs at number one. And then CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, I think, would be different for each team. There are certain teams that would love those more than the other. But 
it's almost like splitting hairs in that regard. It's not like one guy over the other would go, okay, that's a bad fit for this team. I just think that the peaks of what they do well could work for some coaching staffs better than others, but no doubt about it, you're getting a difference maker with those guys as my two or three wide receivers. Trevor Sikama from the Draft Network here joining me on the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network. And Trevor, we had Brett Coleman on the podcast yesterday talking about running backs, and there was an interesting discussion we had about how some of the depth can impact where that initial run starts for the running back position. And I have to imagine that's even more tenfold at the receiver spot. Where does that grouping of guys start to come off the board? And what does it do as far as like pushing guys that maybe would have been first round picks or second round picks in a normal year? What does that do for them going down maybe even into day two? Yeah, you wonder where that run's going to start, right? Because there are teams that need a wide receiver, but just like we discussed there, where do they end up taking them? Jacksonville needs a wide receiver. They pick at nine. The Jets need a wide receiver at 11. The Las Vegas Raiders need one at 12. But are, are those teams going to take one? I'm not sure. You know, Jacksonville's sitting there at the, at the nine spot. I think they'll probably have their eyes a little bit more on the trenches or maybe even the cornerback position than anything else. But I really think that early... Right after that top 10, that 11, 12, 13, New York Jets, Las Vegas Raiders, San Francisco 49ers. That's where I would tell you we would start to get that run on wide receivers. And shoot, it could be three in a row right there, right? I mean, we could go boom, boom, boom. CeeDee Lamb goes 11. Jerry Judy goes 12. Henry Ruggs goes 13 or however you want to splice it up. I think all three of those teams need a wide receiver. And then if that happens... That's going to determine the rest of the draft. That's going to determine when the other guys start coming off the board. The Jalen Ragers, the Justin Jeffersons, the KJ Handlers, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk, all of those guys that I just named right there, and even more could potentially be first rounders. It just all depends where that run starts. And so I don't think it's going to start in the top 10 unless you get a team who's really aggressive, say, like one of those bunches there, perhaps even the Denver Broncos as well, that maybe moves up to a team looking to move back at number seven with Carolina or number eight with Arizona, something like that to go up and get a, a Henry Ruggs or a CD lamb. But if no movement happens, which we know is not normally the case with a draft, <laughs> but just so we could project things here, if no movement were to happen in the top 10, I'd tell you that 11, 12, 13 spots, the sweet spot for wide receivers to really start going. And so the Dolphins pick 18 after their pick number five in the draft. An interesting spot there at the receiver position for them. And we've been doing these draft podcasts all week and really getting into the draft here on drive time. And one of the things I keep noticing is that a lot of these positions do have depth. And obviously, I think the receiver group does probably stand out above the rest with that depth. And going off your guys' big board at the Draft Network and doing those mock drafts on the draftnetwork.com, I always find myself picking from a variety of players in rounds four and five that I still think this guy could contribute right away. You're yeah. number one. But at the receiver spot, you guys you guys have got Lamb 7, Judy 10, Ruggs 12 on your big board. Then Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, LaVisca Chenault, KJ Hamler, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, and Donovan Peoples-Jones. They all check in in that 28 to 53 range. If you could, Trev, tell us what those guys do best. Yeah, man. I, I mean, just it's, it's a pick your preference. And I think that's the most alluring part of this wide receiver draft is that for whatever offense you run, 
whatever kind of wide receiver you need. Do you need an outside X? Do you need a guy who can go up against press coverage? Do you need a bigger body player? Do you need more of a flanker? Do you want a guy who's off the line of scrimmage, a guy that you can move in motion? Do you want a slot player, a slot guy who can make the most out of space, is great in short area quickness, can win with separation quickly for your quarterback to find an easy option? You can find that receiver, whatever receiver it is that you need at any spot over the first really three rounds of the draft. Now, obviously the ones that you're going to pick higher got a better chance of hitting and their highs, their ceilings of what they're able to do are a little bit higher, but man, it just, it, 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 it's so vast. The kind of guys that you could get there. You named so many names there and there are so many others that you still did not name that I've got in my head that could still really help out a team. And so with those players, I really think that we're going to see a ton of day two guys go off. I've, you know, Mel Kuyper talked about 30 wide receivers going in the top. What was it? Three, four rounds, something like that. And, you know, DJ has said before that it's the, the deepest, one of the most talented wide receiver classes he's ever seen. I definitely agree that it's, it's, it's deep and it's talented, but that second and third round, that day two, that's the sweet spot. That's where you're going to see a lot of teams, especially with the situation, the way that it is where, these visits for some of these players are, are more remote. They're not happening as easily. It's not as much of a connection as it was before. That might cause more teams to go into the wells of positions that they know are good rather than taking risk on some others. And wide receiver is absolutely, along with running back, one of the positions that, that I think teams are going to really go for. So if you let me ask you this then, Trev, because if you can get – if you get that big run on receivers, let's say 10 or 15 guys go off in the second and third round, and then yeah. you come back in the fourth round and these teams are sitting there with the receiver cupboard restocked, so to speak, does that then create another slide at the back end of the draft where we're going into rounds five and six and you have guys that you have good grades on still available? I think it's certainly possible. Um, I, I don't think the slide from round three to four would be as drastic as maybe – when you see that first group of three wide receivers, the rugs, Judy, CD lamb group between the next group going off. But I think it's going to be a little bit more spaced out than that. I don't think there's necessarily going to be this giant gap of like, Oh, it's been, you know, say 30 picks since a wide receiver has been taken. I just think there's so many good ones that teams are going to be plucking them all over the draft. But I also don't want to totally discredit the second half of your question there, because there are still going to be receivers that get drafted in the fourth, fifth, perhaps even sixth round that you could go into training camp with it's fighting for a roster spot. And that just doesn't happen. You know, that does not happen every single year. And that's why it's a rare class. And if I had to put your feet to the fire and say, give me a name of a guy on day three, if you're just building a roster from scratch and you've got nobody on that, you don't, you know, there's no outside perspective, a guy that you think can plug in day one and have a chance to be a competitor and uh, a contributor rather on the roster opening day. Okay, I will give you three, uh, as a matter of fact. Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver out of Oregon State. This guy's got so such great body control. He's one of the best hands catchers I've also ever seen. I think he had one drop this season, which is crazy. He's super reliable. He's not the most explosive guy, but, man, he gets it done. He's so reliable in what he does. I think he could have a big impact as an early day three guy. Quintez Cephas, the wide receiver from Wisconsin, Okay. I know his combine was a little bit confusing. I was confused as anybody else was, but put on the tape. This guy can play. And the Ohio State corners, while they were at the combine, 
talked about Quintez Cephas as the toughest wide receiver they went up against. And that means more than some 40 numbers, if you ask me. And then Lynn Bowden from Kentucky. He's just such a Swiss Army knife, if you will. He played slot wide receiver for him. He was the leading uh, leading pass catcher for him, I believe, two years ago. He's played some running back for him. He's played some quarterback. I'm not sure exactly where a team's going to line him up, but all I know is that this kid is a great athlete. He's going to give you 100%, 100% of the time. And he's just a gadget player. You could plug and play him into a variety of different roles and he can give you a lot of versatility. So those are three players that I'm really looking forward to seeing where their fit is come day three. So those are great player breakdowns, Trev. And so I think I would be doing my listeners a disservice if I didn't ask you to go back to the top of the draft and give me the same thing. Like who's the guy in the first round that you would go to bat for there and a guy in the second round and the third round. Give me a couple more names at the top of the draft that you're saying are going to come into the league and just blow things up. All right, also, so at the back end of the first round, and this isn't really a surprise. I mean, he's a common name at the, at the bottom of the first round. I'll say Justin Jefferson. I mean, I love Henry Ruggs, but I think everybody knows about Henry Ruggs at this point, and I touched on that a little bit, how he's more than speed. I think Justin Jefferson's going to have a fantastic impact in the NFL because his contested catch numbers were so high last year. Joe Burrow, one of the most accurate quarterbacks that I've ever seen last season, still had to put passes in really tight windows. Often that was to Justin Jefferson. Certainly Jamar Chase had a wonderful year as well, but Jefferson's contested catch rate was above 90%, like insane. This guy just does not drop the football. And, you know, he had a couple of concentration drops that brought his numbers down, but that gives me so much hope towards if you put Justin Jefferson in the slot, given these two-way goes, he could go left or right. He could go out or in. You know he's not the fastest. I think he proved at the combine that he has plenty of speed to be good, but he's still not going to separate as good as some of these other players are you know he's still going to come down with it. He's going to be reliable in a lot of different ways. I think his route tree is extremely diverse for a variety of different reasons, and so love Justin Jefferson in that regard. And then a guy at the top of the second round that I think I think that he's probably going to go in the second round, K.J. Hamler. I like K.J., man. I really, really like K.J. Hamler. It was unfortunate that he did not get to uh, run at the combine. This is a wide receiver out of Penn State, by the way, because – he would have rivaled some of the fastest players at the combine and people's eyes would have been open. Now you're going to have to have a quarterback that knows how to be accurate with KJ Hamler, because this guy is a blur, right? I mean, when he puts his foot in the ground and goes zero to 100, it's not every quarterback's going to be able to hit him in stride the way that they need to. But when you do, you see him do things to say Ohio state's cornerback, Sean Wade, who was viewed as a top 50 prospect. If he came out, will probably be a first rounder next year. He cooked Sean Wade on a slant route for 93 yards in that game where Penn State played Ohio State. And that's just, you know, what you can do if you pair a guy with his kind of speed, his kind of explosiveness with an accurate quarterback. And so those are just two guys, one at the end of the first round, one I think is probably going early day two or sometime in the second round that I love for those traits reasons. Those are what separate them for me. You mentioned the comments about Quintez Seafest at the combine from the players, the cornerbacks that went up against him. I heard that same thing from at least two or three defensive backs about KJ Hamler there as well. So those guys in the Big Ten, well-respected. But the other Big Ten cornerbacks, he is Trevor Sikama. You can find his work at the Draft Network. And of course, check out his podcast, Locked on NFL Draft, and follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, thanks a lot for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate having me on, Travis. 
And there he goes, Trevor Sikama. You guys would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't check out the Draft Network and all they have to offer. All those guys have different perspective reports on all these players, the mock draft machine. We're going to have Benjamin Solak on later this week to talk about his quarterback charting project where he just covers every single throw in college football. It's great work they do over there at the Draft Network. And the more and more you hear about this draft class, whether it's running back, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's receiver, we're going to get to defense on a later couple of episodes here next week on the Drive Time Podcast. And you're going to see me and John Kenjemi, the co-host of the Audible Podcast, break this down on the Miami Dolphins social accounts, the website, anywhere you can find Miami Dolphins content. We're going to be on there. You guys are going to hear us talk about how deep and how versatile and how many different options there are at every position in this draft class to really improve your football team and inject some young viable talent onto your roster. It's going to be an exciting weekend. We are just about two weeks away, 15 days away as we talk about this on this podcast, this edition of the Drive Time. And with that, that's going to be my time on this edition of Drive Time. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Juice and Seth. And of course, the Audible with John and Kim and MiamiDolphins.com for all your Miami Dolphins content needs. And tomorrow on the podcast, we will have Oronde Gadsden as we take a look at Finn's flashback going back to the 2002 win at Mile High against the Denver Broncos. But until next time, Finn's up.